I want to invite you to turn with me in your copy of God's Word to Revelation chapter 11. That might throw you off in the bulletin. I believe it says Revelation 21. I tried to be ahead of the game and print all the bulletins before the Christmas holidays, and then I had time to uh, mess them up. (laughs) I've... uh, Decided to go with Revelation 11 today. You can bookmark Revelation 21. We we will get there. Uh, But our sermon text today will be Revelation chapter 11, verse 15. If you happen to be visiting with us today, we are concluding our Christmas series on the kingdom of God. I told you in the first week about an essay I, I found by Dr. Jeff Brannon of Belhaven University, where he makes the case that the theme of the kingdom of God is what ties the Scripture together, the thread that runs through all of Scripture from beginning to end. And so over these past four Sundays, we've been tracing the kingdom through the Scriptures. And I was tempted, I actually had in my notes... A brief recap of the previous four sermons, but I found that I had too much to say. So the recap got cut. But if you missed one of those, you can find the recordings on our website. But today we've, we reach the end of the Bible. And here's where I want to begin. Do you know how theologians describe Christ's kingdom? As the already, but not yet. The already, but not yet. Which simply means that the kingdom has come, but not yet in full. And the Lord gives us a picture of this. Do you remember when he compares his kingdom to a mustard seed? He says that the mustard seed is the smallest of seeds, a tiny grain. But when planted, it will grow and grow and grow until it surpasses all the other plants in the garden and becomes a tree. And he says, that's what my kingdom is like. It has been planted and will grow, but it is not yet mature. The kingdom is here, but not yet a great tree. But its day is coming. One day the tree will be full grown. A day is coming when the not yet of the already and not yet will pass away. And we'll see that in just a moment. But first, let's pray together. Almighty God, we know that your word is truth. Would you sanctify your people in it this morning as we sit under the preaching of your word? Would you send your spirit to do his work, to give hearing to your people that faith might come? 
and with faith, everlasting life and entrance into Christ's kingdom. I ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Look at our sermon text with me. Revelation chapter 11, verse 15. Then the seventh angel blew his trumpet, and there were loud voices in heaven saying, The kingdom of the world has become the kingdom of our Lord and of his Christ. And he shall reign forever and ever. The grass withers and the flowers fade, but the word of our God stands forever. If you remember last week, I noted that when speaking of Christ's kingdom, the New Testament has three categories. Inauguration, continuation, and consummation. Inauguration, again, what we looked at last week, specifically the work of Christ recorded in the Gospels of Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. We saw that last week. We saw the inaugural events of the kingdom. The incarnation, the crucifixion and death, and the resurrection of Christ. Then is the continuation of the kingdom, the ongoing growth between Christ's first and second comings. This is the maturing of the tree. And then finally is the consummation of the kingdom. The return of Christ in glory. That great day when heaven comes to earth and death dies and sin is no more and the serpent and his kingdom are utterly destroyed. Revelation 15.11 describes this consummation. And that's where we'll end. But first, let's look at the continuation of the kingdom. You know, once you reach the end of the Gospels and proceed to the book of Acts, you'll read of an event that draws a line between the inauguration of Christ's kingdom and the continuation of Christ's kingdom. What is it? It's the ascension and exaltation of King Jesus. You know, this past week, hopefully... You focused on Christ's first coming to earth from heaven. As we sang on Christmas Eve, Thou who was rich beyond all splendor, all for love's sake becamest poor. Thrones for a manger didst surrender, sapphire paved courts for stable floor. You know, in this season especially, we remember the condescension of Christ. We Remember the humiliation of Christ, how he made himself nothing. But that is not where our Christology ends. It can't end there. Because the scripture tells us that not only would Christ be raised from the grave, but he would be exalted by his heavenly father and return bodily to that heaven which he'd occupied from before the world began. He went from uh, wandering the earth with weary feet to being seated at God's right hand in the heavens. 
Listen to the Apostle Paul on this. Though he was in the form of God, he did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. You see, the Lord Jesus wouldn't remain a lowly king forever. After his kingdom was inaugurated, he would return to his father. He would ascend to heaven, be seated on the throne, which is where he remains today. You know, you and I cannot see him. We know him. He hears our prayers He intercedes for us, but we cannot see him, at least not yet. But our king hasn't left us alone. As the kingdom continues, it does so not in our own power. We remember the Lord sent his spirit, the the helper, the comforter. To rescue sinners from the domain of darkness. To fill them and dwell within them. To assist them as they battle against remaining sin. To sanctify them more and more. To empower them to continue the work of building the kingdom. We remember it was by the Spirit's power that 3,000 men heard Peter preach in Jerusalem. And were brought into Christ's kingdom. It was by the Spirit's power that Paul was converted. And then set out to convert the entire Mediterranean region. It was by the Spirit's power that Philip shared Christ's kingdom with an Ethiopian. Making him the first one to bring tidings of the kingdom to the continent of Africa. It was by the Spirit's power that in time, tidings of Christ's kingdom would spread to Asia, Europe, Australia... North and South America, and even places like Corinth, Mississippi. This work of the Spirit, this expansion of the kingdom, this growth of the mustard tree, which began some 2,000 years ago, continues today. Which means this is where you and I currently find ourselves on this final day of 2023. For the past month, we've been looking at ancient history. True history, but ancient history. Christ's death and resurrection happened some 2,000 years ago. The Lord's promises to David were 1,000 years before that. The calling of Abraham was even further back in time. And we've spent the month of December speaking of things that happened long, long ago. But in speaking of the continuation of the kingdom, I'm speaking of something that you and I find ourselves wrapped up in today. 
that this isn't confined to ancient history. It continues in the present. Which means you and I are a part of the story and it isn't over. I've got a couple quotes from the Lord of the Rings that I'm going to share with you. The second will come in a bit, but for this first one, I try to be good about sharing names and places that some might not know. All you need to know is that two of the main characters find themselves themselves in a very dark place. And they begin to recount some ancient stories about brave heroes of the past. And they think of a gift that one of them had been given. It was this little crystal vial on a chain that could be worn around the neck. And in this vial was starlight. Ancient starlight. It had been given to them to be a light when all other lights went out. And in this time of darkness, one of the two has a moment of clarity, thinking about the great ones from of old, then looking at the star glass in his friend's hand. And he's struck by the fact that these two little people are a part of those same old stories. One of the characters, Sam, says, Why to think of it? We are in the same tale still. It's going on. Don't the great tales never end? And to that, his friend Frodo says, No, they never end as tales. But the people in them come and go when their parts ended. Now, I hope it's obvious why I tell that. In the scriptures we read of ancient history, great tales from the past. But today we're reminded that the tale continues. You and I find ourselves in the middle of it. The same spirit who hovered over the waters in Genesis 1. And the same spirit who spoke through the prophets. The same spirit who raised Christ from the dead is at work in you, empowering you to do the task appointed. And like Frodo said, people in the great tales come and go when their parts ended. The Apostle Paul would write half the New Testament and plant churches, and he would go when his part was ended. But the story of the kingdom would continue. Athanasius would vehemently defend the deity of Christ at the Council of Nicaea in 325, a council which produced the creed we recited earlier. And he would go when his part was ended, but the story of the kingdom would continue. A German monk named Martin Luther would spark the Protestant Reformation, and he would go when his part was ended. But the story of the kingdom would continue. Corrie ten Boom prayed and worshipped with other women prisoners of the Ravensbrück concentration camp. And she would go 
when her part was ended. But the story of the kingdom would continue. I could go on and on and on throughout church history, recounting ordinary men and women who were brought to a saving knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ and filled with the Spirit and empowered to play the part given them in this great epic. And when their work is over, they depart to be with the Lord and join that great cloud of witnesses. But the building of the kingdom never halts. I want you to know that you are one of them. You're a part of this ancient history that continues today, and you have a part to play. And guess what? This is a good thing for preachers to remember. It will continue on after you're dead and gone to be with the Lord. The kingdom will continue. But when will the kingdom finally come in full? When will the tree reach full maturity? You know, people love to ask pastors such questions. Especially when a war or a pandemic breaks out. Well, our Lord's disciples asked him that question. Do you remember his answer? It is not for you to know times or seasons that the Father has fixed by his own authority. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. That's the answer. When does this kingdom come? The Father has fixed a day. When all will be made perfect. When the completed kingdom will come in full. But it's not for you to know the date or hour. Don't worry about or obsess over the when. Instead, in reliance upon the Spirit's power, focus on doing what you can today to further Christ's kingdom in your little corner of creation. So it's not for us to know the year or date when the kingdom will come in full, but we are told that it is coming. Just as the saints of old had to wait and recount the promises of God until an angel came and told shepherds that Christ was born. In that same way, you and I also wait. We also recount the promises of God, remembering His past faithfulness, until another angel comes and sounds the trumpet, announcing that the King of Kings has come again. As some of you might not get my love for the Lord of the Rings, and that's okay. But it's passages like this from the books that keep me coming back year after year. Listen to this. And before the sun had fallen far from the noon, out of the east there came a great eagle flying, and he bore tidings beyond hope from the lords of the west, crying, Sing now! Ye people of the tower of Anor, for the realm of Sauron is ended forever, and the dark tower is thrown down. Sing and rejoice, ye people of the tower of guard, 
For your watch hath not been in vain, and the black gate is broken, and your king hath passed through, and he is victorious. Sing and be glad, all ye children of the west, for your king shall come again, and he shall dwell among you all the days of your life. And the tree that was withered shall be renewed, and he shall plant it in high places, and the city shall be blessed. Sing all ye people. We may not know when, but we do know that one day, a messenger from the armies of heaven will come from the skies to those saints living on earth and announce similar words. And when that day comes, the continuation of the kingdom will end and the consummation of the kingdom will begin. In his book on the kingdom, Patrick Schreiner writes this. He says, From the garden through Abraham and David to Jesus to the church, we are desperate to know how the story will end. Will the people of God be rescued? Will their king return? Will their cities be rebuilt? What will happen to the enemies of the king? Will the crucified and ascended king reveal himself again? What's the answer, Trinity? Most assuredly. We look to the final book in the canon of Scripture, the book of Revelation. And it was written by John the Apostle. Uh, The authorities of his day tried to kill him because of his work to further the kingdom. Uh, We're told that he was thrown in a cauldron of boiling oil. But he didn't die. And so they exiled him on a small island in the Mediterranean called Patmos. And it was there on that island where John is shown a series of visions that depict the consummation of the kingdom and tell us how the story ends. John wrote down all that he saw and heard, and his words should be a tremendous encouragement to everyone who loves the Lord Jesus. Listen to these words again from Revelation 11. The kingdom of the world has become the kingdom of our Lord and of His Christ. And He shall reign forever and ever. So I ask you, what's to fear, dear Christian? Why are we afraid? We are told how the story ends. Our God doesn't keep us in the dark. He tells us what's coming. All of history is headed towards the kingdom of the world finally and fully becoming the kingdom of our Lord and of His Christ who will reign forever and ever. And there's so much I could say, but I'm going to try to stay focused. Do you remember the definition of the kingdom that's been helping me through this series? It's, I think I've recited it every week. and I'll do it one more time. The kingdom is the king's power over the king's people in the king's place. Power 
people, place. And we see those in Revelation. How will our sermon text be accomplished? Revelation eleven fifteen. how does that happen? Through the power of the King of Kings. You know, earthquakes have power and volcanoes have power. But they are only cupcakes in comparison with what will come on the final day. The kingdom of the serpent, the world and its rulers and peoples hostile to Christ the King will finally receive the full consequence of their rebellion against the Lord. In Revelation chapter 6, John sees the kings of the earth and the great ones and the generals and the rich and the powerful and everyone slave and free hid themselves in the caves and among the rocks of the mountains, calling to the mountains and rocks, fall on us and hide us from the face of him who is seated on the throne and from the wrath of the Lamb. That's the power of the King. Power that will cleanse the earth. Power that none of the great ones on the earth will be able to withstand. Not even the serpent. He will be thrown down and will perish forever. In Revelation chapter 12, John sees the great dragon, the ancient serpent who is called the devil and Satan. John sees him thrown down and his angels thrown down with him. And then John hears a loud voice from heaven saying, Now the salvation and the power and the kingdom of our God and the authority of, our, of his Christ have come. When the kingdom finally comes, it will be by the power of the king. Let's move on to people. The passages in Revelation speak of power and wrath and destruction. And these, I know, might unnerve you. But if you love Christ, they shouldn't. If you've looked to Jesus and cried out, Lord, have mercy on me, a sinner, they should not frighten you. Because in Revelation, John sees that the power of God isn't only for his glory. It's not only for the cleansing of his creation. It's also for his people. That same power will shelter and protect them. I mean, in the same way that Noah was sheltered in the ark. And the Israelites were passed over by the angel of death. And safely led through the Red Sea waters. In the same way, the people of God will be protected and sheltered. In his book on the kingdom, Patrick Schreiner writes that in the midst of chaos and destruction, God casts his protective wings over his people. While Revelation is filled with carcasses, valleys of the dead, and bloodstained streets, The interludes provide respite where the people of God are marked out and sheltered. They are shielded from the wrath of the Lamb 
In the midst of the hurricane of destruction in Revelation, the people are safeguarded in the eye of the storm, sealed by the blood of the Lamb. The people of God will be protected from the coming destruction. Listen to these three verses at the very end of Revelation chapter 7. Therefore, they are before the throne of God and serve him day and night in his temple. And he who sits on the throne will shelter them with his presence. They shall hunger no more, neither thirst any more. The sun shall not strike them, nor any scorching heat. For the Lamb in the midst of the throne will be their shepherd. And he will guide them to springs of living water. And God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. You see, not only will the people be sheltered, the one pouring out the wrath is also the one who will tenderly shepherd them and guide them to springs of living water and wipe every tear from their eyes. We've looked at power in people, but what about place? What are we told about this place that's coming? Well, we see it in chapter 21. It begins with these words. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and the sea was no more. And I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them, and they will be his people. And God himself will be with them as their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning nor crying, nor pain anymore, for the former things have passed away. That's the place that's coming. A city whose architect and builder is God. A city that will come down from heaven to earth. A city completely free of any stain or corruption or curse of sin. A place that's even better than Eden. And we have some great bookends to the scriptures here. The Bible begins with the tree of life. Planted in the middle of the garden. And it ends with the tree of life. Being planted in the middle of this garden city. And we're told that its leaves were for the healing of the nations. The Bible also begins with a marriage, and what does it end with? A wedding feast. One commentator writes, The Bible begins with the account of creation and ends with a description of a more glorious creation. Between these accounts lies the story of redemption. So how do we end this story of the kingdom? Well, I'm going to land the plane 
And as we taxi to our gate, there are two implications for us. And again, I started by mentioning Dr. Jeff Brandon at Bellhaven University. And I want to end with a couple implications he draws at the end of his essay. First, we have to remember and we have to share with others that the salvation Christians have in Christ is far more than simply the forgiveness from sins. Now, forgiveness from sins is important. It's what Christ came to do, to atone for the sins of his people. But there is so much more. Our doctrine of salvation should include what is seen in Revelation. Being raised to new life. Given incorruptible bodies that will never grow sick or die or sin. It includes doing what we were supposed to do from the beginning. Reign with Christ in this new heaven and earth. And fulfill our God-given purpose. I'm afraid too often our view of salvation is far too small and narrow. Remember the fullness of this consummation and what's coming. Here's the second implication. Since this is true, since we know how things will end, and since it can't be stopped, we can persevere and endure the sadness and pain and loss that we face in this veil of tears. And we can take up our crosses and lay down our lives. We can endure pain. We can minister to a lost and dying world because we've been given a surety of what's coming. We've been told how the story ends. And I want to end with Paul's words in 2 Corinthians 4. So we do not lose heart. Though our outer self is wasting away, our inner self is being renewed day by day. For this light momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. As we look not to the things that are seen, but to the things that are unseen. For the things that are seen are transient, but the things that are unseen are eternal. Let's pray. Joy to the world. The Lord is come. Let earth receive her King. Let every heart prepare Him room. And heaven and nature sing. And heaven and nature sing.
and heaven heaven and nature sing. Almighty God, what we've seen in your word, what you promised in the garden, what you promised to Abraham, what you promised to David, it's clear there is only one person who is worthy to undertake this project. And it's the lamb who was slain for sinners. Almighty God, may we not forget that one day the true king will come again. One day God's people will hear the glad news that they have longed to hear ever since Adam and Eve had to leave the garden. Ever since God called Abraham to be the father of a royal people. Ever since God promised David a throne that would last forever. Ever since Jesus ascended to his throne in heaven. All people have been waiting to hear the glad tidings that the kingdom of the world has become the kingdom of our Lord and of his Christ. And he shall reign forever and ever. Almighty God, yours is the only kingdom that proves true. Yours is the only kingdom that will last forever. Yours is the only kingdom with the king who is able to reign over this world and save sinners like us. We do long for him to come. And we remember his words to his disciples. Hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. We ask all of this in his most holy and precious name. Amen.